the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband John, insomniac extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen. Love of heaven, what is he doing? John! 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 What's the matter with you? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter? What's the matter, Blanche? Are you in pain? I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink. You've been sleeping like a felled ox. Head. Aches. You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John? Always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights, man. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on? Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow! Take an aspirin. Okay. Hmm, feel better already. How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something. All right. Ah. John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You lied to me. You got the lights on. Yes, I'm going to keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you. Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night? When else can I talk to you? 
You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia. Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep. It took you all of 30 seconds tonight. Well, this was a good night. Good night. John. John. I went over to see the Marvin's new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months. He must be awful tired. I am too. Children are such a blessing. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children. I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache. John, Hmm? don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house? No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting. What the devil is that? What's what? That. Put the lights on. John... Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and... It's and only a dog, silly. A, a dog? What do we need dogs for? I got for? a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for? Now, don't get hysterical. Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it. He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer. You put him in there with my shirts? He won't suffocate. The drawer's open. Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin? You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia. I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... Get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake. The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. Well, where are they? On the night table by your bed. How do you give a dog... Where... They're on the night table by your bed. There's nothing here except the aspirins. The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Blanche, what have I been eating? No wonder my headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My, my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs, hides the aspirin, and makes... I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as as long as... John? John? Hmm? Gesundheit. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy. Now you're talking. I want you to take him down to the dog pound. Okay, I'll do it on my way to work. You go in the opposite direction. Well, I'll go out of my way. You say it, but you won't do it. You better take him now. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep. You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Gooseby? Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep. Ah, what's the use? Good night. I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment. Still have a year to go on this one. Our lease expired on Friday. I renewed it yesterday. I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me. That's a good idea. Amos is what? Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow. Oh, Blanche, no. I... 
I don't believe it. We'll be on the street. Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy. Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place? Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. Get it? We've got it now. I know. But even if we didn't win, we get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets. Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200, and I've got no place to live. Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals? Now look, Blanche... The trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative. Look, Blanche... If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche... He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year. He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where's my slippers? What are you going to do? Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow! Ooh! Ooh! Put on the lights. The lights are on. Open your eyes. Oh, here's here's the phone. I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does. Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. I'll get it. I'll get it. Amos. Hi, Jacko. What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving, haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep, I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming, and if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as... Was it Amos who won? I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying. No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. But, oh, nuts. I'll sleep in the garage. Good night, John. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and um, I'm really looking forward to this next conversation. My guest this hour loves radio, and, of course, as you know, so do I. Um, actually, she has a uh, a new book. It's called Love Radio, and it's a debut book for her. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to her because she's... Uh, She's from Detroit, and and uh, she's been lots of places since then. But we're going to spend a little bit of time with Ebony Liddell and talk about her book and uh, her experiences and, and what's going on. Ebony, good morning, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, so tell me about, uh, I, I guess the place to start is, uh, is there a connection between 
being raised up in Detroit in in uh, radio? Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> yeah, I am from uh, yeah from the metro area. I grew up Oak Park, Southfield, and I was in Detroit up until high school. Um, I went to live with my father for a little bit, and then I was spending the summers out there with my mother. Then I went to Howard. And when I was writing the story, I knew it was going to be a romance. It was going to be about two teenagers. I wanted to showcase a black love story, but I was trying to figure out the setting. And I was also trying to figure out, because Prince is a local DJ who gives out radio, like gives out love advice, I was trying to figure out the medium in which he would dish out the advice. And so one of the things I kept thinking about was growing up in the D, going to school and work with my mom and us listening to the radio. That was such a, you know, part of our morning commute every single day. And I remember listening to like Mason in the morning and I remember listening to Donnie Simpson and Ricky Smiley and all these radio hosts and they would have pranks. They would give like the, you know, latest celebrity tea and they would give love advice. And some of it would be good. Some of it would be not so good, (laughs) but I kept going back to that. And I I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool? Cause teenagers, you know, teenagers are going to save this world. Like young people always do. Wouldn't it be cool if Prince was in high school, but he was such a good, um, advice giver that he was able to get his own local uh, show, his own local segment for an hour. And so once I came up with this concept, I was like, okay, well, you can't write a story about music and radio and not talk about the D. So that's when I had to, you know, really tell myself, okay, Ebony, you did, you got to do it. You got to write about Detroit. So what era were you um, going to high school in, in Detroit? So I went to so I was I went to high school in Vegas and um, that was really I think another thing that sparked wanting to write the story but also being a little timid about writing the story because I was there up until middle school and then um, my parents were divorced and my dad is from Detroit he's from the east side my mom is from the south but moved to Detroit when she was quite young and so I wanted to you know my both my parents are my life I love them greatly and my dad had been asking me to live with him for so long that I felt like. It was time, but I also missed the culture. Um, I moved to the West Coast, and I went to a predominantly white school, and, you know, Detroit has so much rich culture and history that it was really hard for me to connect with um, my high school uh, classmates. And so in a lot of ways, I was like Danny because just like she kind of became a recluse and used her journal as a way to cope, I did the same thing. And as soon as high school was over, I was like, okay, I'm going back. And so... uh, the plan was actually to go to Michigan State, but one of my um, teachers really convinced me that Howard was my school, that I didn't realize it, but I needed to go to Howard University, and then I visited the school and fell in love. So I always say if it wasn't for Howard, I would have been back in Michigan and, and Mich- at Michigan State, but I got back to the East Coast, which was most important to me. Well, that's cool. Uh, where, do, where do you call home now? Home now is Washington, D.C., so I lived in New York for over a decade. And just recently, like in the last year, I moved back to D.C. And and why D.C.? Just um, DC, attachment to Howard? or? Well, I actually met my husband at Howard, and we got married <laughs> so because he is my husband. And he's from, he's from D.C., he's from PG oh, County, which has gotcha. very similar um, vibes with Detroit. So it's nice being back there because I feel like even though I'm not in the city, I still have that sort of community and culture in the same way that Detroit has. More with author Ebony Liddell.
straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with author Ebony Liddell, straight ahead. Why is it important to tell um, a a coming-of-age sort of black teen love story? Yeah, so when I grew up, um, I was obsessive, and it's, it's actually Love Radio pays homage to a lot of black uh, romances of the 90s and 2000s. My mother was there. The first chapter is, without giving too much weight, is Danielle um, sitting on the couch with her mother as she's watching a romance movie that she's seen a million times. And that is actually literally what happened to me and my mom. <laughs> um, back in the day, we used to sit on the couch and see, watch all these romances, and I'd be fake cynical about the love story, but I actually would watch it every single time with her. And I realized as I got older that I, you know, would also watch rom-coms about, you know, like 10 Things I Hate About You and movies like that that were marketed to teenagers, but they never showed me as the main character. I never saw a black girl, you know, being the lead and being the one getting um, all this love and attention and admiration. It was always the side character, and that was frustrating to me. And so I looked to these black romance movies, especially the ones that show, like, teenage um, versions of themselves, Love and Basketball is a perfect example of that. The Wood is a perfect example of that. I looked to those movies as sort of my coming-of-age story. And so when I was writing Love Radio, I knew that I wanted a teenager like myself to read a romance where they can, you know, I want a black teenage girl to know you can be courted too. You can be swept off your feet. You can have the magical, whimsical love that you want to. And so it was really fun thinking about things that I used to love doing when I was home, even for the summers, a lot of my childhood friends are still there. And so I would come for the summers and hang out with them and do all these fun things. And bringing that to the story was a lot of fun to do. Are, are the films that are, that are being made about young black people and, and marketed to black teens, well, to teens, period, Mm-hmm. Um, but that have a, a black storyline in it. Um, are, are they getting to be pretty good or are they still a little exploitive? I think they're getting a lot better. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons why I love writing for a young adult and also when I was in the publishing industry, uh, marketing for a young adult is the audience demands so much of us um, as adults, as the gatekeepers of, you know, publishing books. And I think that's very important. Like I said, teenagers and young kids, they're the ones who are always helping us, you know, come to new language and come to new ways of thinking. It's it's how, you know, society evolves, right? And so because of that, I do think with um, young adult, with teenagers being one of the most diverse groups of, you know, our generation's time, we are forced to put out art that reflects so many different cultures and backgrounds. And so I do think we're seeing more of it. I don't think it's nearly enough. When I think about the movies that are coming out on screen that, you know, feature white romantic leads versus a lot of different color, you know, people of color, not even just black people, people of color in general. And so I'm just really excited to be 
at this stage. I think we're seeing a lot more romance writers from different backgrounds talking about different experiencing experiences, you know, shattering different stereotypes. And I'm just excited to be about this, be, you know, um, on this wave. And I think we'll see a lot more representation to come of movies and books that feature people from all backgrounds and ways of life. Oh, I agree. I've had several, uh, several writers on the show that have become part of the Rick Riordan Presents mm-hmm, brand, yeah. and you know what that's about, mm-hmm. and, and that's exactly what you're talking about, Ebony, and and I, I guess what I would ask is, uh, there are some under that imprint, but who are some of the content providers that you think are making a difference? Oh, that's a... Uh... Such a good question. It's and like I'm not trying. And I'm not trying to put you no, 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 on the spot. I, I, but I'm, I'm curious to see if you know who you're noticing and, um, and and who's bringing these stories out because you're right. People need to be able to read and explore stories about people that look like them. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's so many, you know, when I think first thing I think of when I think of a, a Detroit novel, because I, you know, wrote this book, realizing that I wanted to have a book that showed the positive aspects of Detroit, and was not seeing it. And so I wrote it as a way to do that. And then I find out about Aaron Foley, who wrote a book called Boys Come First. And this is, you know, sort of a, a debut about three black gay millennial men looking to find love, which I would have never expected to read. And it was such a joy to read that book. And the way that he describes the city, like this, the, the, when people say, oh, Detroit is a character in your novel. And then I read his and I'm like, oh no, Detroit is like three characters in one, you know, like it, it was very beautiful and touching to see that. So Aaron is someone, when I think of other um, authors who are writing in this space, Jasmine Guillory, who is one of the, top romance writers in the game. Um, she's phenomenal, and she loved Love Radio. She gave me my first endorsement, and now, and, and she was on Today Show and, and shouted out Love Radio. Um, I think of Elizabeth Acevedo, who is an Afro-Latina um, author and really changed the narrative about, you know, colorism and what it is to be black in a, in a you know, space where, as a Latino or Latina, like, you try to deny that part of you. Um, I'm thinking of, oh, there's so many, uh, Danielle Clayton. I'm thinking of Andy Thomas, Tiffany D. Jackson, Reese Nelson. There's so many authors who are coming out now and doing the work that, you know, that it, they're doing well and it's exciting to see and fans are really resonating with them. And I just hope to see way more authors come out where we're overwhelmed at what to decide to read because we're seeing representation all over. What was it that made you decide to um, write a book? I mean, you you worked in publishing and you were doing marketing and and so on. What what was it that that triggered you and said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to be doing this. I need to write a book." So I've always wanted to be a writer. Like since I was little, um, <laughs> I had a my feeling. mom used to. Yeah, it, it it definitely was there. My mom used to take me, you know, to the library we used to go to South Illinois Park Public Library like once a week, and I'd be able to have my pick of the litter with books. Uh, my mother is also loves to write, so of course Apple doesn't fall fall too far from the tree. And also she's a creative, and so I would watch her, you know, perform at church plays. She's a, a phenomenal singer. 
Um, she also helped me with like, you know, becoming, getting into drawing. So there was a lot there that like helped me foster my creativity, but I got to a point where I became a little afraid of writing, not necessarily writing, but showing my work. And so I really kept it to myself for years and years after that. And then I got into publishing. I like stumbled upon this career work, uh, going to Howard and realizing working at the bookstore that there's an actual job here that I can help, you know, make sure these books that are such amazing, incredible works of fiction or nonfiction, you know, get them out to the masses. And so for a little bit, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a marketer. And I was quite good at it. And so I felt this is my only job. This is my only career. And that's great. And then I lost a, a childhood friend to bone cancer, to a rare bone cancer. And it, you know, obviously it wrecked me. And I went back to writing as a way to deal with it, as a way to heal from it. And it started as a way for me to just like jot down things to help me remember her. And for some reason, I started to craft a story. And the book, is, it's, it's, it's basically a book. I basically wrote a novel, but after I wrote it, I was able to have, you know, a sigh of relief and, and feel good knowing that, like, I did something that helped me with my healing process, but also something that, like, brought me back to what I love, which is writing. And that's when I realized, okay, Ebony, you can't let this go. You have to write. And then I started writing Officially Love Radio in 2019, and the pandemic hit. And that was a really, you know, scary moment for everyone, this entire world. I didn't know, just like everybody else, if, you know, I was going to catch COVID if I was going to pass away from it. And there was this fear of what if I, if I, you know, if life is, if it's the end of life as we know it, and I'm not able to do the thing that I really wanted to do, which was published. And so that was also what told me to get it together and, and write the book that I've always wanted to write. Were you able to take advantage of, um, some of the quarantine, the the downtime, the the being locked in to to write, or did you have it pretty well done? Oh by yeah. Then? So it was it was kind of halfway. I wouldn't even say halfway done. Most of what I wrote was absolutely in COVID. I was fortunate enough that my job went fully remote, and I think that's important to you know acknowledge the privilege that I had because it allowed me to use my commute time, use time that I would take to get ready in the day to go to work to just sit at home and write. And so I forced myself to get up at the same time I would have gotten up if I had to commute and get ready. And I used that time to write the story. And that was incredibly helpful in getting this book uh, finished. Ebony, are you a pretty disciplined writer? I, I mean, if you if you slot that time, you say, okay, I normally I'd, I'd be getting up and, you know, getting dressed and ready and breakfast and you know, all that stuff and commuting, um, but instead sit down at the keyboard and, and just take off and, and start putting words on uh, the screen? Yeah, I would say, I, I would say my dad says that that's like one of my greatest virtues of my self-discipline. And so I would think that I am pretty self-disciplined, but writing showed me that there, you know, I, I could have, I could use some improvement in that regard because you really have to come to the page almost every single day. And one of the things that I realized is when people say that they have writer's block, and I'm not saying for every instance, but for me, what I've realized is anytime I feel like I have writer's block, it's not necessarily because 
that day is just hard. The words aren't flowing. It's more I get writer's block when I step away for too long because so much of writing is, you know, creating a you're creating a whole world. Even if the the world yep. is steeped in what you know, you are yep. still creating a whole new world. You have to be present in that. And when you're not writing, you're thinking about it. And when you're consistent about writing, new ideas pop up. So even if I wasn't writing throughout the day, I was writing notes in my journal about like, oh, I could put this scene. Oh, I remember I used to do this in Detroit. Maybe this could be a date. You know, like I'm constantly thinking about the characters and their hopes and their dreams and, you know, their pain points and when I took, when I stepped away for too long, that's when it was really hard for me to get back into the swing of things. So what I always suggest for anybody who's interested in being a writer, because it's how I started, was I used to get up early. I started with Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I would get up an hour early and just started writing. And what I found was I was I started to enjoy it, and so I swapped it to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then I found I enjoyed that. And then, you know, and so before I knew it, the discipline came because the work came and because I, I was starting to see that I was putting something together that I, I was beginning to enjoy. And so that is, I guess, my also little advice for anybody who is considering writing, but they're just like overwhelmed at the thought of starting. You have to start. I'll tell you my favorite quote about that, uh, that very process is from Stephen King. And in, mm. an, in an interview, and it wasn't mine, unfortunately, but he was asked, <laughs> uh, he was asked, do you write to amuse or to a schedule? Mm. And he said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, the mm. muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I'm glad you brought up Stephen King because I read uh, his book on writing. And for anyone who is, uh, you know, a budding writer, that's a good one to read. Um, it really helped me. I, I enjoyed, he was one of the first people I think that I read a book about writing who talked about it in a way that was just like, be you. I remember the first thing that he said to me that made me feel seen was, you know, cuss words if you want to. It's your story. It's your voice. Like, you should write it the way you want to write it. And it sounds silly, but when you're in an industry that is very highbrow and they expect a certain type of literary accolade, you start to wonder, like, if I wanted to write it in this way with people that I know who talk like this, who act like this, would I still get the same support or will it be so foreign to them that they feel like it's not worthy of publishing? So um, shout out to Stephen King because on writing was definitely something that I hold near and dear to me. Um. What's next? What's next? <laughs> um, <laughs> I I am writing, and when I say um, when I talk about having you know writer's block, I'm kind of in the writer's block stage because I'm you know promoting Love Radio. Well, yeah, you've got and, some distractions with this, yeah, but a lot of times, some, yeah. books take a long time to make it to the shelf, mm -hmm. and yeah. I've talked to a lot of writers that that. In some cases, some more than others, there's another manuscript mm -hmm. done or in process by the mm -hmm. time a book makes it to the shelf. Yeah. And there is also, I'm, and that's what I'm doing now, is I'm, I'm working on my manuscript now for book two. Um, I'm definitely a writer that likes to keep her ideas near and dear until I feel comfortable sharing. But I will say it is another romance. So you have that to look forward to. 
Um, it's 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 not Danny though. No, it's not Danny. It's not a sequel. <laughs> okay. It's it's something it's something different. It's also something that is going to stretch me as a writer. It's it's hard, but it's fun, and I'm looking forward to um, finishing it. Can Can you imagine ever doing a uh, a series or or um, a, a series of sequential books? You know, I am. I'm one of those people that because I know a few people have read the ending, and I'm like, oh, I want it more, and I'm like, but that's. To me, that's always the goal when you're writing a story is you, you want the reader to close it and want more, and you want them to sort of envision more. And so I always feel like I want my books to flow in that way, and and maybe that opens it up or allows for a sequel if I feel it's worthy of one. But I think the story that I told is a story that should be told, and I think I'm fine with it as is. I will never say never because every time I never say never, that's when I do it. Yeah. But I will say I'm happy with how the story shaped up, and we shall see. But I, I am excited on – I have other ideas that I also want to pursue. And so I'm, as an artist, I'm excited to explore those things first so, and foremost. So you have some things that you would like to pursue as basically one-offs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, we still have a few minutes left, and, and I've been – I'm dying to ask you this, and and I uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to do any spoiler alerts or anything, but but can you share kind of a synopsis of Love Radio so people have an idea of what this you know what the the story does above the fact that it's a love story in Detroit and radios yeah. involved? Most definitely. So Love Radio is about two teenagers, Danny Ford, who is an aspiring writer, who is laser focused on moving to New York to pursue her dreams of being a published author and Prince Jones, who is a local Detroit DJ slash love expert who is looking to pursue Danny. He's been in love with her since forever, which forever for a teenager is probably middle school. And after a rocky meet cute, (laughs) um, Prince convinces Danny to go on three dates with him. She's a little reluctant, but still does it. And sparks fly. So, that's really what the core theme of the story is about, a story of love. But it's not just a story of love of these two characters. It's for, you know, a love of your family, your city, and also, you know, love for yourself. Wow, you've practiced that. I mean, I had to. <laughs> like, <laughs> you I got mean, that down. <laughs> so hopefully that's the You were pat on that. <laughs> that was very Thank cool. You. No, that was very cool, Ebony. Um, would you like to see uh, Love Radio on the bigger little screen? Of course, I would love to see. That would be that's that's a dream, and hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully that happens. Um, it it looks promising, and so we'll see if if something comes of it. But it is exciting to see all of the reactions like in all of these industries and, and the love and support. So I would absolutely love, I would literally lose it if um, I ever see this come to the big screen or little screen. Who would play you? I mean, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. I actually don't know. And I haven't thought too much about it, which seems very strange. It does a little um, bit because some writers are very visual. And yeah, when they're I mean, writing, they mm-hmm. they get pictures of 
who might be these characters when they're writing about them. Yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, obviously for the cover, um, one of the things that happens when you submit uh, your manuscript and your book is about to, you know, publish, there's a, the publishers like to see, like, what's your mood board? Because it gives them a sense of what type of, you know, vibe you want to go for for the cover. So I definitely had images of random people on Pinterest that I felt, you know, exuded the look and feel and vibe that I wanted. But honestly, for... Danielle and Prince, as long as they're able to really, like, you know, get the the voice down of each of these characters, I'm pretty open. And if it's someone young and, and new and, and funky, like, that would be cool, too, you know? So I don't, I can't say I really have that person in mind for the main characters, but I'm excited. If it happens, I'm excited to see who's chosen. Now, in my notes, it says this is a... Uh a debut novel for you, but is it your first published work as well? Yes, it is. Well, as a, as an author, yes, absolutely. Well, I would, I was thinking, you know, do you have any, any poetry or short stories or, you know, magazine articles or anything else that's been published? Oh yeah. So I've published, um, like I've written a few, uh, pieces on book recommendations because I'm a book lover through and through. So, there are definitely some pieces online that you can find that I've written. But in terms of poetry, no. Um, I love poetry, and I thought I wanted to be a poet. I don't know if I got it in me. <laughs> but uh, those are going to probably stay in my journals. This is my first major published uh, work for sure. Well, I'll tell you what. We're just uh, pretty much out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. So my website is com, and there you can find some of my published pieces. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, so you can follow me at, at EbonyLiddell as well. Well, Ebony, it has been a delight meeting you and getting to talk with you a little bit. And uh, I hope when uh, when this next project comes more into focus and uh, you're ready to, to go with it, you'll come back and talk to me some more. Most definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Ebony. You keep, too. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye. Again, that was uh, Ebony... Liddell, and born and bred in Detroit, Michigan. Went to uh, Howard University and cultivated in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, she returns to Detroit with her book, Love Radio, a uh, teen romance novel um, with uh, radio. A radio show playing a character in in this book. Anyway, um, with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight. <laughs> TomSumnerProgram.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. You're not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. few years, a type of meeting place has grown up throughout the country, which is called a coffee house. There are many uninitiated people who have never been into a coffee house, I being one of them. Uh, We're seated now at a table, across from which is a man uh, who seems rather depressed. Uh, Sir, uh, you you are depressed. Uh, Would it be getting too personal to ask you why? I'm not pretty. You are depressed because you feel you're not attractive. I'm not attractive. You're not good-looking. No, I'm not. Well, what would you say, sir? That's why if I'm I... mainly depressed. Well, may I, may, I, may I say something to you, sir? Yes. You are a very attractive person. You're as attractive as nine out of 15 people I know. <laughs> you're very kind. But you are. You're not you're an unattractive very, person. You're very sweet, but I, I know the, the truth, and I face it every You're a good-looking man, sir. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. <laughs> Oh, 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 I see. Oh, I, I, I beg your pardon. Uh, we'll, we'll go over to one of the other tables now okay. and see if we can speak. Uh, Goodbye. Thank you very wow. much, sir, uh, madam. Madam. Um, there's a gentleman sitting here wearing a pair of Levi's, a nicely laundered T-shirt, uh, looking very much like an actor. Uh, I might describe him as looking like a cross between... Uh, Marlon Brando and Joanne Woodward. <laughs> I, I want to explain that. You do have blonde hair. May we sit and talk with you, sir? Uh, if you are so uh, in your mind, too. <laughs> yes. Was I right, sir? Was I right? Are you an actor? Yes, I uh, have to be a uh, lesbian. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, <laughs> I think sir. Yes, sir, I think you... Can I check you on that? I think it's... Uh, you mean thespian. Well, uh, is that what? Thespian. Thespian, actually. Thespian. Yes, yes. I'll never get that wrong again. <laughs> Sir, who is your... Who do you consider the greatest actor we have in America today? The greatest actor in America is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> I think she's... Well, she's a, she's a great actress. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean an actor-actress. I mean that she knows what she's doing up there, you know? Well, who else do you like? Who would you pattern yourself after? I would pattern myself after... I love that picture, The Fugitive Kind. I loved it very much. Very much. <laughs> so... Uh, so you're trying to... I tried to uh, be like Brando with my T-shirt and just look uh, very much like Joanne Woodward, who I love very much. I love her. Well, you know, usually when people... I also look a little like the producer. I love him, too. <laughs> Marty Giroux. Is that Mar- Marty Giroux. He produced that picture. You'll notice my shoes are exactly like his. <laughs> I love that picture yeah. that much well, sir, that I... I became everything in it. <laughs> I see. Sir, I think I made a mistake. You're not an actor. No, actually. I'm not. I'm not an actor, well, I'm but, I'm, but I love to hang out here. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure speaking. Well, it was a pleasure almost to be an actor. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I've got to wend my way through the crowd. Oh, uh, good luck on your wending. 
Uh, uh, goodbye. If I can do anything for you, you just call upon me, sir. Can I talk to you now? <laughs> no. No. Okay. okay. I understand. You have to go to other people yes. on the record. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Right. I watched you before in the coffee house. All right, ladies. Goodbye. So long. I hope I'm an actor. <laughs> uh, We're going to a corner of the coffee house now. Uh... On the walls surrounding this table are many, many paintings. There's a gentleman sitting here with a palette, palette knife, some brushes, some oils, and I imagine that he is the gentleman who painted these paintings. Am I right, sir? That is correct in your assumption. <laughs> and the painting... Uh, you are totally correct. Uh, the painting... And impeccably dressed, if I may say so. Thank you. Thank you very much. A lovely tie. Thank you. Gradually blending into the color of your suit. You are always interested in color and design. Color is my life. I am color. Your name is... Uh, what is your name, sir? Corinne Corfu. <laughs> Corinne Corfu. Uh, you are yes. Greek. You I can... hope I am Greek. I would like to be Greek very much. Well, you're, that is a Greek name and you have a Greek accent. Yes. Well, then perhaps I am. <laughs> well, don't you know your... Don't you know your derivation? No, I do not know uh, my derivation. Gypsies stole me as a child. <laughs> a band of gypsies. And you were brought up where? I was brought up in the Persian Gulf, right here in Miami. It's <laughs> the Persian Gulf. No, it's a gypsy tea house. The rest Sir, is called I, the Persian Gulf. I would like to talk to you about your paintings. Now, yes, you certainly know. It's my life. Color are, and art. I are, love art. They are very unusual. I noticed that... God bless you for your perceptions. <laughs> I noticed one... You also... Uh, you sculpt, too, I noticed. There's Main, uh, sculpting and painting, all the arts. Uh, there is a, a metallic sculpture there that is very interesting. Yes, metal, metallic. What do you call that? It's just a series of wires uh, in a grid-like effect. What oh, you mean you... above the door? Yes, what do you call yes, that? Yes, that's called the air conditioning. <laughs> yes, no, I... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. I did not uh, make that. No. The, the feathers, the feathers company made, but it's very beautiful. Yes. Your paintings are very abstract, I noticed. Yes, but they don't blow air out. So <laughs> like the, the, the machines. No. May I ask you about some of the paintings? Yes, Versus, they certainly may. That painting there that is entitled... The Gull on a Hot Rock. Yes. Now, yeah, I don't see anything on that but a bunch of little specks. Yes, well, I saw the gull on a hot rock from over five miles away. Uh, oh, I, I see. I was standing on a cliff. That's why I painted in the perspective, the three little dots. Now, uh, getting closer, sir, I'm, uh, may I examine a little more closer? Certainly, not too close. Yes. yes. Now, that is not paint those dots. They look like, that's, those are flies. Yes, sir. they are. They're flies. But you didn't paint that. Those are real flies. No, I took them, uh, caught them in my hand until the air was out of their bodies and they died. <laughs> and then I... Uh, you pasted them onto them? little dots of blue and put them on the dots and, and they represent the gold on the rocks. I had to kill them. If I had not killed them, if they were not dead and glued to my picture, <laughs> then I have no picture. <laughs> they fly away, I got nothing, Charlie. I see. I'm in the dark. Well, I excuse you. What are you going to buy? Well, sir... May I ask you about this particular abstract? Yes, they're mainly so, impressionistic, post-impressionistic, yes. pre-impressionistic, and impressionistic. Yes, this one is more of a, an academician type of painting. No, it's not. Well, for instance, it's very graphic, it's very graphic. Yes, it's it, very graphic, the, it's very graphic. The, <laughs> it's a draftsman-like quality. The spaghetti looks like spaghetti, the limp salad looks like limp salad, and the garlic oh, bread oh, looks oh, like garlic bread. Oh, oh, no, that's not a picture, that's my supper. <laughs> I, I, it happens to be resting on a frame and in my easel. Oh, that's my dinner. I eat that. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. sir. It looks. Do you like? Wait a minute. 
Do you really like it? Well, it is. Do you think it looks like the a, composition a is collage rather... of... Uh, yes, it, I thought it was thickly painted. I tell you what. <laughs> if you really like it, I can lacquer it up and give it to you for 40 hours. No, I'm afraid, I'm no. afraid I wouldn't want to take your, deprive right. you of your supper, sir. How about just a coffee and cake? <laughs> Maybe not for $20. No, sir. I'm... Give me a dollar and a half for the coffee. <laughs> sir, I'm really not interested. Give me 40 cents you can have. All right, here's 40 cents, sir. All right. Thank you here's very much. coffee and cake. Nice working with you. <laughs> yes, sir. I hope you come in again. I will, sir. God bless your can tie. I... I don't want the coffee. No, you want the picture with the flies? No, you just keep Give that. me a dime. <laughs> you can have it. I kill more flies. What the hell is it? <laughs> All right. Goodbye. In a corner of the coffee house is a gentleman sitting with a very, very strange instrument on his lap. Uh, sir, may we speak with you? Hello. <laughs> Uh, what is your name, sir? May we get your name? Uh, my name is uh, Charlie Grape. <laughs> Charlie Grape? Yes. Uh, do you perform here at the uh, coffee house? Yes, uh, on occasion I do, and then they uh, they kind of get mad at me, and then I don't. I think I can get permission for you to play for us. I'd oh, like can to... you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I would... It's the first time I've ever gotten permission here. We'd certainly like to hear a sample of your music. Certainly. Let me just get tuned up. I'm trying to find an A here. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Got it first shot out of the box. My A. Now, what are you going to play for us? Uh, 22 men. All right. For the record, 22 men. 22 men. Here we Sung go. Sung by Charlie Grape. Here we are. <laughs> I get mainly A out of it. <laughs> right. I don't get more than A out of it. 22 men fell down and hurt their knees. <laughs> 22 men fell down and hurt their knees. 22 men fell down, down to the ground. 22 men fell down and hurt their knees. Would you like to hear the release? Do you have one? Yeah. Now, 22 men fell down and hurt their knees. That's not a release, sir. That's the same as the... Uh... Yeah. Okay. Okay, how about another completely different song and a new tune? Yes, I'd like okay. Can you make it up on the spot? I certainly can. It's my best part. This is extemporaneous. Yeah, whatever. When two German soldiers hurt their knees. <laughs> Twenty-two German soldiers. I think you know that no, too. It's, yeah. it's very similar to the other one. Yeah, well, how does it differ? It differs in the fact that the first 22 men were not German soldiers. <laughs> well, is this the enough? The second 22 men are German soldiers. Well, it's the can same. You, can you play it's the same uh, that they hurt their knees. That's right. You caught me there. Yeah. Can you sing something completely different? Okay. Completely different. You know, the uh, the Calypso balladeers make up songs right on the spot, topical songs. Yes, they Can do. Can you do that? I'll try to. Okay. Okay. 22 Calypso men. <laughs> no, Is that what you meant? No, I meant something topical. Something topical? Yes. I'll try something topical. Let's see what's happening in the world today, here in our great nation. Got it. Big Dick Nixon hurt his knee. <laughs> Big Dick Nixon hurt his knee. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 